Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan. Greetings, everybody, from the Sunshine State. My name is Alan Weiner, and I'm your host for Food Forward, Nourishing the World, here on Voice America. Each week, we will explore the innovations and trends shaping the future of food. From sustainability to technology, we'll uncover the flavors of tomorrow. Also, we will discuss all things food, some crucial to our well-being and some just for fun. Today, we have two special guests. Kicking things off, we have Stephanie Bricken. She is the founder and Chief Bottler of Seraphim Social Beverages, a non-alcoholic beverage. And then we have Mike Wolf, publisher of The Spoon, a daily resource for all things food tech, who will discuss AI and food. If you miss an episode of Food Forward Nourishing the World, it's available after airing on my Voice America show page and through all leading podcast platforms. Think of it as radio on demand. The audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and on our website, foodforwardradio.com. With that, let's get started. Today on Food Forward, Nourishing the World, we're joined by a special guest, Stephanie Bricken, the visionary founder of Seraphim Social Beverages. Pioneering a unique twist in the beverage industry, Seraphim crafts non-alcoholic drinks infused with botanicals and other wonderful things, offering a sophisticated and social alternative for those seeking a refreshing experience. Let's dive into the story behind Seraphim and the passion that drives Stephanie. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Alan. Nice to be here. Yeah. So I watched the video where you tell the story of Seraphim, uh, but I'd love for you to share it with the audience. What, what was your initial inspiration? Um, honestly, I wanted to be a happier and nicer person. Um, I love my ritual of drinking a glass of wine before dinner while I was making dinner and then having a glass during dinner. And I was finding as I got older, I guess, that it was not serving me. It was changing my mood. I was becoming, you know, snappy at my family and I got headaches, didn't feel great the next morning. But I didn't want to give up that experience, you know, that that like take a load off from the day, fancy glass in hand, complex beverage. So I was uh, in a in a grocery store one day and they were someone was sampling a day drink. And I thought, oh, this one ingredient could make a non-alcoholic beverage less sweet um, or non-alcoholic wine less sweet. So I went home to my kitchen and I started you know, creating recipes. I have a master's in holistic health. So that helped me to know about um, the botanicals to use, some of the, you know, organic ingredients, something to make it healthy as well. And then you employed the help of Rutgers University, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. After I um, 
started after I felt like I got a good recipe. And then I'm a actually a fashion designer previously. So that's my my first career was a fashion designer. So I'm very creative. I came up with the label, the branding, and I took a bottle or three flavors to Drexel, my alma mater, and because they have a food lab. And they, 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 the food scientists there, uh, Jonathan and Rachel said, this is really good. These flavors are great. Um, I think you've got it, got something here. You already have the branding. Now take it to Rutgers Food Innovation Center and they will help you scale it up. So they have food, food scientists there, um, Julie Elmer. And then I worked with Craig Peck in the business department and Joyce, and they helped me, um, you know, kind of figure out a business strategy, see where the market was and then scale up. And at that point, I didn't really know that there was this, you know, ebb of something coming on the non-alcoholic beverages. It started to grow. I just wanted to find a solution to my own situation, but it was really good timing because now there's more and more of this that we're seeing. So the actual bottling, did you do that yourself at your house? Did you go to a commissary? Uh, so when I started, you, yeah, yeah, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, so when sorry. I started, I um, I really knew I wanted to get the flavor, and I I picked. I wanted to also choose a bottle that looked like a wine bottle, um, and then something with a really lightweight so that it helped in shipping to lessen the carbon footprint. Because I'm, I already, I also study in environmental science, and just I'm really, you know, concerned with the earth, and and I picked a lot of organic ingredients to help the soil, and so initially I would I learned how to hot fill it um, by boiling it and put it in a bottle in bottles that way in my kitchen. Um, and then you use a certain cap that keeps it, um, you know, uh, preserved. But then when I scaled up, you know, I, I couldn't make enough in my kitchen to, to grow business. So that's where Rutgers helped. So did you go to a third party for bottling? So Rutgers Innovation Food, they have a whole bottling set up. Oh, fantastic. And that takes care of all the health issues and the certificates for all of that. Yeah, it's a USDA, FDA uh, certified kitchen. Amazing. So I, I was curious when I watched the videos um, about the botanicals and other ingredients that you use in your beverage, beverages, how easy it to source all those things like the elderberry and, and all of that? Well, it's it's funny you ask. I initially um, worked with an herbalist, a few herbalists, one to get information. Another one, I actually went to her house. She showed me how to, you know, the meaning of the different herbs. I, I read some books and then how to, how to, how to um, have a process where they, where I, it's not a fermenting process, but it's like a preserving process where I took the elderberry plant, I put them in alcohol, and then I, I did another version um, that was uh, in glycerol or glycerin and, you know, they had to sit for a while. And I, I felt like, even though that was, you know, like a cottage way of doing something and I liked what that would bring, it wasn't sustain. It wouldn't be sustainable to making more quantity. So I found um, herbalists and alchemists is in New Jersey. I found a local herbalist herbalist herb company that I buy the extracts from in a bottle. So I put them in, you know, they're already bottled. So they essentially do the thing that I was doing in my kitchen, but they already have it in a bottle. Fantastic. So I noticed at the uh, Expo East, there were a number of social non-alcoholic beverages. Can you elaborate on what it means on how it differentiates Seraphine from other non-alcoholic beverages in the market? 
Yeah, I think that was, it was a great, great show. Um, Mark is from the Adult Non-Alcoholic Beverage Association, set that up with Expo East and we had our own row and it was really, I feel like the buzz of the show because of the category and how strong it's becoming. I think mine is different in that, um, you know, spirits are big right now. Um, canned social beverages are big. Beer, beer has been big in terms of non-alcoholic um, and non- non-alcoholic wine. Mine, mine, I feel like is different because it's also a wellness tonic. That's what I call it because it's built rather than being de-alcoholized, which also serves a purpose and um, is a great c- category for this category. Um, I build it from organic sour cherries, wild blueberries, red grapes. And then I brew it like a tea with the botanicals, pulling out the nutrients. Then I add apple cider vinegar and the herbal extract. So it's kind of like, I feel like I call it outlander in my kitchen. It's like an old world way of, um, you know, creating this beverage that's good for you, but also has the palate and the complexity of a red wine. Interesting. So is there a, a company taking on distribution for non-alcoholic beverages? Is that a challenge? I know that there's tons of of distributors for, you know, name brand beers and even indie beers. Um, who's distributing these products? So, yes, there are the, distri- the distributors are seeing the growth in the market, how it's up 20 plus percent, um, maybe even more by now. So I know even Allied, one of the biggest distributors, if not the biggest, have their own department now that it just focuses on um, non-alcoholic. I actually went to one of their bartender seminars where they were training bartenders on how to use the non-alcoholic spirits. Um, Cause it just has a, you might need to use a little bit different ratio for the non-alcoholic spirits in a, in a bit drink than you would the regular. So it's kind of, it's an educational day for the bartenders to, to learn how to mix with these non-alcoholic spirits. So yes, the, the, um, the distributor is really jumping on board because they see the market. So once you created a viable product, um, talk about your go-to-market plan. Did you start with sampling at farmer's markets? I mean, how did you get the initial awareness going? Yes, farmer's markets was and has been a great vehicle because it's real-time information and conversation with customers. I can see, and and they're every week. So um, last, last fall, that's where I started. I've pared down a little bit this with a different schedule this year or this season. So I'm, I'm just a year old um, because I wanted to spend more time trying to get into shelves and into um, wine stores. But it's really great to see return customers every week come and say, I need two more bottles. I need three more bottles. That really helps me know that it's a good product. And, and the other thing in the very beginning, when I was doing the farmer's markets, I would take a poll. I would say, you know, what, how do you like it? What does it taste like? And when, if I got too many comments of one in one direction, I might tweak the recipe. So actually, I actually dropped some percentage of one of the ingredients because I had a number of customers say, oh, it has too much. I could taste this too much. So it was really, really helpful doing the farmer's markets. So now it's a matter of getting out into the stores, getting um, distribution, connecting with some um, nice grocery stores, some natural grocery stores, some uh, restaurants. I'm trying to do some restaurants in the city to to pair with their tasting menus. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, once you kind of got to a point where you knew that you had something 
what what was it that kind of said, okay, this is more than something I like. I can tell from consumer reaction and the viability of the product that I really need to go full steam. I think it was one of the first most exciting moments for me was when um, right after I had launched maybe a month or so, I actually got a meeting with 11 Madison Park in New York, which is a three Michelin restaurant, star restaurant, one of the best in the world. And they had gone um, during COVID, they had opened back up after COVID as a purely plant-based restaurant. So they didn't change their name. They just changed what they, what they offered. And I thought, wow, this is a perfect, you know, combination, perfect marriage to have this wine with, with them. And I, I got a meeting and I sat with um, their, their sommelier um, and beverage director. And he sat with me for 30 minutes, said, let me have a second uh, glass of this one. It's so good. This is the best I've tasted of, of the category of this type. So that was really encouraging, you know, to have a three Michelin star restaurant say that and really like it. And then all the customers at the farmer's markets and, I sell to our local bottle shop, the Spring Lake Bottle Shop. They keep reordering um, case case after case. So it, that's that's all really keeping me going. So as I'm, I'm thinking about menus at a bar or and at a restaurant, you know, you see categories, you see red wine, white wine, sparkling wine, you see beer, you see cider, and then generally under non-alcoholic. You see, you know, like, um, oh, I don't know, Heineken Zero. Does does the menu need to have a very specific place for non-alcoholic spirits that are, that are not wine and not beer? Uh, I don't know if it has to have a specific place. It'd be nice just to broaden the category to have more of the wines, non-alcoholic wines, because it right now I think a lot of the menus have mocktails. And I think that's it. I can understand why restaurants do that. They already have all of the ingredients and then they're just making something really beautiful for the customers. So I'd like them to have my product so that, you know, you can just pour it right out of the glass. And and if for somebody who really likes drinking wine, um, it's really a great alternative for them. Um, I have Watermark in Asbury Park, picked it up in the summer. They were really, they started doing non-alcoholic events um, starting in dry January and they had one a month. So they were, um, yeah, they really were successful and, and it's on the menu there and they, I think they play around with it and, but they serve it as just kind of a wine option, wine alternative. So you raised a great question there. So, you know, there's, there's straight out of the bottle and then there's mocktails. Um, are you gathering the, the mocktail recipes that different bartenders create and creating kind of a community to share with other bartenders or is each one independent? Um, I th- each, each one independent, the bartender or the mocktail or. Yeah. So if I go to, you know, the, the vegan restaurant in New York and the, and they create a mocktail, um, can you share that mocktail as a marketing tool with other companies? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I know I had, I sat with Root Down in Denver um, and they were making a mocktail version of, uh, it was a New York sour with, instead of bourbon, uh, lemon, lemon juice and wine drizzled on top, they had uh, seltzer, lemon juice and this, and seraphim social beverage drizzled on top. So it could be used as a, a wine 
straight out of the bottle or a mocktail. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, though. no, you, you did. Uh, two quick final questions. Um, Seraphim. Seraphim is a six winged angel from the Bible. Um, right. Is that where you came up with the name? I mean, what does it represent? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I associated it with the Bible necessarily. Um, I just have my own angels that I feel like watch over me. So I, that's where the name came from. And, and one of the labels has the wing on it because um, I feel like they guide me, they give me comfort and, and helped me along the way. Fair enough. So tell us, uh, tell the audience where they can find Seraphim beverages. So right now it's at the Spring Lake Bottle Shop. It is online on, um, at seraphimsocialbev.com. You can order it and sh I can ship it anywhere in the country. It's at Mother Knitter in Red Bank on the main street. It's And it's in Watermark Restaurant and White Chapel Project in Long Branch. And um, it's on 98th Street at the Westside Market in New York City, 98th and Broadway. Terrific. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. I'd like to thank Stephanie Bricken for joining us on Food Forward, Nourishing the World. Seraphine Beverages, definitely something that you're going to want to try. We'll be back after these messages. Thanks, Alan. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. I'd like to offer a thanks to Stephanie Bricken, who joined us talking about her non-alcoholic beverage from Seraphim. Really interesting stuff. Our next guest is one who is familiar to most of you because he was our lead guest on our very first show, Mike Wolf. Mike is the publisher of the food tech industry's leading source of information, The Spoon, www.thespoon.tech as well as the uh, 
Porter owner of great shows in the industry, including one coming up that we will talk about involving AI. So Mike, welcome. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be here. Yeah. So let's dive in right away to artificial intelligence. What, um, where did you see the need to create a show? Now, I know that you've had a previous event, um, but this one seems to be much more of a, of a higher level event in Alameda, California. Yeah. So we have always at the spoon tried to find ways to bring interesting people innovating at the edge in new areas in food. And one of the things I was noticing just over the past year to two years was just the increased usage of artificial intelligence in all its different varieties uh, up and down the food value chain, whether that's uh, in the farm, whether that's at, you know, new kind of developing new ingredients tech and tech kind of new inputs for, for food uh, or even all the way to the home using AI and some of these recipe apps and these food planning apps to help us kind of uh, make that go faster and make it more personalized. I just had seen just an increased use of that. And then also, as you probably remember, you know, about a year ago was kind of the big bang around generative AI where it all came on our radar with OpenAI's ChatGPT. And I saw how quickly food brands, restaurants, et cetera, were adopting that in new and interesting ways, particularly as OpenAI made the API available and allowed it that technology to be integrated into software tool sets. Um, I just, it just seemed like a commerce time for a conversation to bring people together that were using this technology and, you know, learn from best practices and maybe kind of discover some people who are doing some research around using this technology just felt like a, a good opportunity to bring it together. And, you know, we're kind of past the, the, the COVID shutdowns where we didn't do in-person events for a couple of years. And so th this felt like a great new, a, a good way to put our toe in the water for the spoon and do our own in-person event uh, for the first time. We had actually been doing CS's food tech conference, but we really hadn't done our own uh, events since COVID in person. So this seemed like a good starting point. It seems to me that if you look at um, artificial intelligence in the world of food, there's certainly breaks down to B2B and consumer usage. And um, while there are, quite a few consumer facing apps um you know the comp not only open ai but the other companies that are using the platform as you said as well as what's going on with microsoft and google with bard but it seems to me that the excitement really is much more around the b2b space so for example you have three companies that are going to be speaking at your show shiru complex and brightseed and in some way or other, they're using AI to kind of streamline the creation process by using artificial intelligence to go through databases to optimize the creation of products. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think what these company has these companies have realized is, when you're creating a new novel ingredient, for example, um, you know, like in, like Impossible worked on developing their plant-based team, which is really the secret ingredient for their, you know, semi, you know, pretty realistic uh, alternative meat. You know, that took them three to four years of brute force lab work, just you know, doing tons of trials and tons of work in a wet lab, and you know, but a company like Shiru realizes if you have a fairly large database. Uh, categorizing and characterizing 
properties uh, of food, you know, plant-based molecules, et cetera, you can start to sift through this stuff pretty quickly and start to come up with hypotheses much more quickly than you could and test hypotheses much more quickly than you could with just doing it all in the lab. And so um, you never really will get away from actually having a lab if you're doing serious food discovery, but getting through testing and looking for potential interesting novel combinations of ingredients that will create, for example, a new fat or a new flavor profile, you can do that an order of magnitude faster using AI and then you can bring it into the lab, test it, and trial it in a prototype product. And I think that's what a lot of these companies are starting to do. These startups are doing it, and they're getting venture funding for it. But also, you know, big food companies are doing it as well, including companies like Kraft Heinz, which is partnered with a company called Notco. Um, they've actually created a joint venture to do this. And so um, I think it's on the radar of everyone doing food discovery work and developing new CBG products. You know, that's interesting because... You know, I interviewed um, Oliver Zahn from Complex, who claims to be the first company to, from scratch, not using existing scientific research. And, and to that point, there have been at least two or three companies that I've written about for The Spoon that dug into the archives of a number of university um, research plans and mm. updated them and using used them as a starting point whereas Complex started from ground zero. And I think that they're facing the, you know, the difficult decision. It's kind of the fork in the road. Should I remain a B2B company and work with others? Like you pointed out, you know, that Heinz Craft is working with others. Or do I want to create my own product, which in many ways is a, a slippery slope? So, are you seeing that companies are are really focusing solely on the B2B or do they have that itch to get their name and brand on something to bring to the market? Yeah, I, I'm seeing it both ways. I mean, Notco, I, I brought up them, you know, Climax is another one where they decided that they will use their new ways to come up with interesting plant-based uh, protein alternatives and also develop a consumer-facing brand. That, like you said, is a tough road to hoe, but they believe that they can do it. Um, if you take the example of another company that's not necessarily making a name for itself using AI, but but made a name for itself with precision fermentation in um, um, a, a perfect day, you know, they were uh, you know simultaneously developing new ways to create proteins using precision fermentation, but they also at the, at the outset wanted to create a consumer-facing brand. They have since decided to sell off their consumer-facing brand business because they realize it's a really expensive thing to develop a consumer brand. And so they're becoming more B2B play. It's yet too soon to be seen as some of these companies like um, you know, like Climax Foods or, or others want to just uh, entirely become, you know, we'll, we'll kind of say, hey, we want to forego and not necessarily develop a consumer-facing brand unless we have developed some really interesting technology. Let's use this as create a tool set for a lot of bigger brands who've already developed that these consumer-facing uh, kind of well-known household names, um, it's, I think it's probably too soon to, to see whether or not that's going to happen or not. Another company that caught my eye speaking at your show is Strella, that is using yeah. um, AI to kind of streamline, I guess you would say, the value chain to avoid waste. 
that's not really a new idea, yeah. but it differs using AI. Wouldn't you say that that's, you know, something, a, a new twist on something that has been yeah. worked on for a while? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a cohort of companies that are developing, you know, ethylene detection systems or kind of detection systems that will tell you and give you a signal if uh, food is reaching its its a point of no return and it's going to be, you know, uh, its life cycle is nearing the end. And so like Strella has developed this sensor that goes in, for example, Apple warehouses and can detect, you know, the amount of ethylene in the air and, and kind of gases being put off because as food, for example, produce starts to uh, decay, it emits gas and these sensors can detect that. Where the AI comes in with Strella is they're using developed algorithms to say, hey, we can perfect much better and more perfectly understand the apple's lifespan and notify the farmer or the warehouser or the grocer uh, if this lifespan is coming to an end and tell them when it, this apple has reached perfect ripeness they've also developed it for bananas and avocados which is actually a lot harder because as you know anyone who buys bananas or avocados which is pretty much all of us the lifespan of these are much shorter and so they've perfected their algorithms using ai to detect when is the perfect ripeness for banana and avocado. And that will help companies like Kroger or other grocers get them at the right time on the show, on the, on the four aisles and help potentially reduce food waste. Mm. So switching over to the consumer facing uh, use of AI. Mm. Um, I played along with uh, one of your, one of the companies that's going to be presenting food pairing. Mm -hmm. And I yep. went through the test. It's a rather lengthy test where they kind of help you develop what your food pairing IQ is. You go yeah. through a number of different, um, you know, food substances, food, food sources, whether you like them or not. And then it comes out at the end with a, you know, with a profile. And yeah. my guess is that from there, you can begin to build diets or tailor it to your health concerns it's kind of fun but you know is there a tremendous amount of value there i i, I question that i mean there's been a number of apps coming to market over the past five years or so that will help develop a profile based on your preferences you know what you may not know is like you may know you like a certain type of food but what they can start to do is say take to say hey Alan likes this food, likes this food. He likes a lot of umami in his food, or he likes a certain type of, uh, you know, ingredient that you may not know by name, but like is common across all these different types of food. So I think that's where the value is. I think when you start to come up with these profiles and characteristics that may be across different foods, and then like they, this app may know there's a unique combination that will really play into your flavor profile. So um, you know, they've been one of the longer standing ones and where they're actually really starting to make it, you know, they have this consumer facing profiling, but also they're working with Pepsi. So um, they're actually going to be at our event food pairing. They've been working with Pepsi um, who is using their technology to come up and maybe develop an interesting new flavor. So where I get excited is it's great to see the stuff in our hands as consumers, and maybe it can help us come up with a new uh, recipe that we never, never had before, but also maybe it can help Pepsi develop a new kind of, uh, soda that like is really unique and tailored towards my particular flavor, flavor profile. Mm, interesting. Um, I know it's kind of off topic, but Colgate has done that with toothpaste. Mm. I bought personalized toothpaste from them and I don't know how it differs, but it's, it's kind of an interesting concept. 
I wanted to save um, the company that that obviously touched me the most um, for our, our last discussion related to the show, and that is January AI. Mm. So January AI is a patch that works in conjunction with your continuous glucose monitor and will alert you as to, you know, uh, how you're doing vis-a-vis your diet. Should you eat less carbs coming up, more carbs, and it can make recommendations to you. Pretty exciting stuff, mostly because Apple has yet to crack the code on their smartwatch to be able to detect, um, you know, your insulin level. And while this does not detect your insulin level, it works in conjunction with your CGM to be able to make recommendations. And I presume, although I don't know, it can store this and share the information with your doctor. Yeah, I think it's super valuable. And I don't have, um, I don't have diabetes, for example, but I do know, you know, folks that do have it. I think Alan, you, you have, yep. you have it. Um, just knowing your current glucose levels and then having an app that tells you what you should be eating. Maybe also it does predictive monitoring or predictions around what your glucose will be in like a couple hours from now and puts it all on a nice dashboard um, and has all this really valuable data. So there's not as much guessing and, you know, you're not going to necessarily have all those, you know, what might be an emergency, you know, you might not need to get a certain something because you haven't been monitoring closely. This app can maybe do that for you. Um, so I think, yeah, this type of technology uh, can be super powerful. And I think um, tied with like menu planning and dietary planning, um, I think this is like can really meet a need, particularly as you said, as like Apple's trying to get there, but they haven't perfected it. And this type of technology, I think, can really help folks who who may need it. Um, I want to switch gears for a second and tap into one of your areas of specialty, and that is the um, smart kitchen. Hmm. Um AI in the smart kitchen. Where are we with that? <laughs> Anywhere? You know, there's been a lot of um, throwing around of the term of AI. And I think you've seen a lot of folks m- embracing it just from a marketing perspective. I think, you know, where we're not necessarily seeing it is like in true, like robotic cooking, for example, like the, the dream of the robotic chef. I think where we've obviously seen it is in the incorporation of, of, cameras and so really a form of ai is computer vision and so you we saw you know six seven years ago the june oven uh, there's a couple others that have cameras built in that can do instant food recognition that's interesting i think some of the apps like SideChef in in it have actually started to use real ai um you know in it has actually built a integration with uh one of the generative ai large language models and created customized rules around doing recommendations around shopping. So I think these folks have done real integrations, not just kind of fairly passive API integrations. And so I think you may see a, like a meal recommendation and shopping tool like in it start to provide you really valuable uh, insights that say, hey, this is what you should buy um, in in fairly real time as you go into the grocery store, tied to what maybe your, your kind of food and, and taste preferences are, but also maybe what kind of your budget carry constraints are. So um, I think that's where that's really interesting. You know, as you, and many who remember in, in it was one of the first companies doing smart kitchen integration with guided cooking tools. So I think as you start to tie, tie the meal planning with the shopping, with actual cooking in the kitchen, I think there's a pretty compelling vision 
over a 10-year time horizon that we may see. So in our remaining time, um, can you tell our listeners more about your upcoming event, where it is, day, time, and how they can attend either in person or if possible virtually? Yeah, we are having our event in Northern California, Alameda, and it is a one-day event on October 25th. Um, we have, like I said, a number of great guests, including folks from Pepsi, uh, Google Spinout Mineral, et cetera, all talking about the future and how AI is going to change the food value chain. And we'd love to have you just go to foodsummit.ai and you can use the discount code podcast for uh, a nice discount off of tickets, 25%. And we'd love to have you there. Mike, thanks as always. Um, look forward to having you as a guest again, as we get closer to CES. So you can talk about you know, um, what your role is going to be in creating content for CES. Looking forward to it, Alan. Thanks so much. All right. We'll be back after these messages. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author, Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. I'd like to thank Stephanie Bricken of Seraphim Social Beverages and Mike Wolf, publisher of The Spoon and events related to food technology. Um, as soon as my wife heard about Seraphim Social Beverages, she ordered a couple, which I believe will be arriving tomorrow. So on next week's show, I will tell you how they are. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about artificial intelligence, because there's probably a significant number of people who perhaps enjoyed what Mike Wolf was talking about, but the very concept of what artificial intelligence is, and more importantly, What it can do for consumers, I think, is important. I've been trying to come up with a way to describe easily how artificial intelligence works. And here's what I've come up with. Everybody is familiar with search or 
the synonymous word Google to Google something, to search something. So search goes into um, content on the World Wide Web. And in most cases, it looks for markups or little tags that go with the content and retrieve back to you the results. And quite often, you know, the results are, are skewed because some companies will pay for better results than others. So if instead of keywords, you used something called prompts into an artificial intelligence engine and artificial intelligence, meaning it does similar to search, but it uses a training called large language models. Forget about it. Don't don't even talk about that, but it uses prompts. And you're going to see a lot of people who tell you that they can give you the best prompts. Prompts are just kind of queries. You know, you want to ask the, the artificial intelligence agent uh, a question. And if you want optimum results, somebody will say, hey, try these prompts. I, I think you're better off trying them on your own. The four, well, the three biggest right now and you know, you probably heard of ChatGPT. ChatGPT is free. However, there is an advanced version, ChatGPT 4.0, which is a premium product. And it allows you to do plugins, not to make things more complicated, but plugins add an additional functionality to the artificial intelligence by connecting an application like Canva or Expedia or Amazon Music to the artificial intelligence engine. It's kind of fun to tell Amazon through ChatGPT, create a playlist of songs of artists from Jacksonville, Florida, of which I think there's only two. The other two um, pretty well-known ones are Bing. So Microsoft has incorporated to a large part um, the ChatGPT engine and it enhances the results. And I think, I think it does a great job of combining the artificial intelligence engine with Bing search capabilities. Google's one is called Bard, and they use a totally uh, invented by Google engine, which they're continually upgrading. And then there's one called Claude. C-L-A-U-D-E dot I-O. And Claude um, was created by one of the people who were early on in ChatGPT who wanted to create, in his mind, a more useful version. So let me get back to, you know, how can this help a consumer when it comes to food? And I'm talking first about things that are extremely useful and um, in this segment, or perhaps in the next one, we'll kind of go to ones that are not necessarily useful, but kind of fun. The, the one that I like the best is from BuzzFeed, and it's called the BuzzFeed Meal Plan. And it is pretty cool because it'll ask you the food you like. It'll ask you um, whether you have any dietary restrictions. It'll ask if you have any kind of medical conditions. And after you go through all of the questions on the BuzzFeed meal plan, it comes up with a seven-day plan um, with calories and carbohydrates. It, it's pretty cool. Not something that I would have expected from BuzzFeed. So the next thing that I did was I just kind of went into ChatGPT and, and another 
uh, application called Dish Generator. And I asked it for some recipes, you know, create a recipe for me. So for ChatGPT, I kept it simple. You know, I, I want a uh, pea and potato soup. And it did a pretty good job. It's I, I, That's something that I've been making for, oh God, decades um, from an Italian cookbook. And it was pretty close. And, and I thought it worked pretty well. And if you've never made it, it would be helpful. Um, for ChatGPT, I'm sorry, for Dish Generator, I did, you know, a, a beef and potato stew, which, you know, followed pretty well to the traditional recipe. But if you, you know, need something quickly, um, you know, it, it's something that will work pretty well. A quick aside, this kind of just popped into my, into my mind. Um, I'm pretty certain that Amazon is working on an AI component um, for Alexa, um, for its, um, you know, assistant devices. And one of my hunches is that it'll be much more useful in helping you with recipes and shopping um, because they can connect, you know, products that you need for a particular recipe to Whole Foods, which of course Amazon owns and, you know, create the shopping list. Um, so that, that should come pretty soon. I then found a site called Crooked Recipes, also asked them for a soup recipe, and it, it was pretty good. I, I recommend that you try it. Um, there was another site that I was kind of excited about called Eat This Much, uh, and it also dealt with people who have particular diets. Um, however, it is not a freemium model. There's no free trial. And I really wasn't interested in, in spending, giving them my credit card, saying that I could cancel at any time. That was not something that I wanted to do. So then the next step was um, to go to Bing. And I tried something which I think would take it to the next level. And I did this for Bing and Bard. So as I discussed with Michael, I am a type 1 diabetic. So I asked Bing, create a meal plan for a type one diabetic for a week. And not only did it create a wonderful meal plan, it gave me calories and carbs. So it went with the supposition that you're looking for 45 carbs per meal, which in reality is kind of high, but you could probably, you know, after you get your results, um, you know, say, well, let's reduce it to 25. Now, I did the same thing with Bard, and it also came up with a really excellent um, meal plan. However, um, it did not give me the calories and carbs. So when I asked it for calories and carbs, it did do that. So, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty, pretty fun. Now, I also asked Bing, ChatGPT, and Bard to come up with a recipe for a vegan birthday cake. Um, and I think this, what's kind of interesting is that all three were different, um, which, you know, surprised me. I figured there would be some sort of overlap there, but, you know, there, there really wasn't. Um, what I like about some of the applications is, and I'm trying to remember exactly which one it was, as soon as it gave you the uh, recipe, it then went into connecting you to Instacart and um, Amazon shopping, essentially Whole Foods, allowing you to buy the products. 
Um, during the next break, I'll I'll go back and look and find the name of that particular app. But I thought that was very, very helpful. Um, the other thing that I, I wanted to talk about were a couple of, you know, fun ones. One is called Cocktail Generator. And what it does is you can put in, you know, any three ingredients. And I suggest that you kind of keep it within the realm of, of you know, beverages. And I put in vodka. Um, I think I put in grapefruit juice. And then I put in, I believe, lemons or limes. And it came up with a punch, which I thought was kind of fun. Now, a fun one is called Moody Food, M-O-O-D-Y Food. So it asks you um, what meal that you're interested in. And I think I put in lunch. And I said, I want to eat something that's going to give me spark and excite me for the day. And 30 seconds later, it came out with a very viable um, meal. I told it I was vegan and it, and it helped with that too. Um, so I, I was really, really happy with that. Um, so there's a lot that can be done. And just to kind of go back for a second, and that is the prompts. So when you're coming into, you know, asking, um, you know, ChatGPT or Bard or Bing or Claude uh, a question, make sure that you're very, very specific. So what happens is it does something called generative response. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, meaning it creates something that did not exist before. Now, the key thing to remember is after you get your results, you can then refine it. You can say, well, I liked what you said, but can you do it without chocolate? Or can you do it, you know, because I'm on a keto diet? And it will take care of that. It's it's really kind of fun. Um, I, I suggest that you play with, you know, some of these apps and you'll really enjoy yourself. It's 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 fun. And um, as we move forward, I think it can be pretty helpful. So when we return, I've got a special treat for you. And um, also talk about my, my book that just came out and um, some, some other things moving forward. So with that, um, we'll be back after these messages. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. Once again, I would like to thank our guest, Stephanie Bricken of Seraphine Social Beverages, and my good friend, Michael Wolf of The Spoon, um, the daily content site, www.thespoon.tech, also the host of some great events. Um, And if you can't make the event in Alameda that Mike spoke of, I suggest if you're going to go to CES that you add him to your agenda. So my special thing that I mentioned, and I haven't done this for a couple of weeks, is I asked my friendly AI agent to come up with a poem about AI and food. In a world where choices abound vast and wide, AI steps in a helpful guide by our side. For meals on a budget or nutrition in mind, it crafts plans tailored every time so refined. From vast databases, recipes it gleans, crafting a week's worth of varied cuisines. Allergies, preferences, it takes all in stride, ensuring each plate is both healthy and wide. In the realm of worlds, AI finds its place too, helping writers find phrases both old and new. But in the kitchen, its prowess does shine, making meal planning both easy and fine. So when in doubt or in need of a plan, turn to AI. It'll help. Yes, it can. Maybe not the best poem that they've cre- that it's created for me, but it, it's kind of fun nonetheless. So six days ago, um, my first uh, published novel, my previous three novels were self-published. Um, my novel um, Watchtower came out from Pegasus Publishers. Now, I had mentioned last week um, that I would give you a discount code but what I didn't realize is unlike my self-published books, which allow me to use Amazon's marketing tools because it's being done through a, a real publisher, not that Amazon's not a real publisher, I don't have that ability. So here's my offer. Um, if you buy my book, either in digital or paperback form, and send me an email, alan at foodforwardradio.com, I will be more than glad to donate $10 to your favorite charity. Again, the book is called Watchtower. It's from Pegasus Publishing. It's available on every platform known to mankind and probably in some bookstores, hopefully. And if you purchase it, either in digital form or in um, paperback, let me know, alan at foodforwardradio.com. And I'll be more than glad to make a $10 donation to the charity of your choice. So next week, we have a very special topic topic that I've been wanting to do for a while, and that is about food waste. And, um, you know, artificial intelligence, if it could come help us with food waste from the consumer side, less from the business side. Businesses are working very hard to ensure that Healthy food gets from, you know, farm to table, so to speak. But is there a way that consumers can avoid 
uh, food waste on their own. Now, certainly, you know, there are machines like the Lomi, and that is hopefully one of the guests that we're going to have talking about food waste. Um, but that would be, you know, kind of fun. So, as always, the audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com. If you have any questions or a topic that you want to see, um, you know, taken care of, you could also follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, as well as our website, www.foodforwardradio.com. So once again, feeding your curiosity one bite at a time for Food Forward, Nourishing the World. This is Alan Wiener. Until we meet again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Food Forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.